Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and uh, joining is our resident goalie guru, it's uh, Nick Mercadante. Nick, what's going on, man? How's it going, Dimitri? It's going well. Um, you know, when I decided that I would, in fact, rank the top 10 goalies, I knew I had to get you in on this because um, I just need some advice. I mean, it, it's easy to rank the top guys, but as we were discussing off air, like once you get into that sort of seven, eight range, um, you can basically put like 10, 15 guys and just put their names in a hat and just pick them out. Yeah, you really can. And uh, it's just so difficult for me personally because I've got I've got all this pressure mm. of of all these Twitter followers that think I'm a goalie expert. Yes. And what they don't realize is that I don't know what I'm talking about after the top five guys, maybe. Yeah, you know, the, you that, know that the really good guys are really good. That's your analysis. Yeah, <laughs> the really good guys are really good. The really bad guys are really bad. And then there's just this whole mess in the middle. Well, I mean, the the good thing is that, you know, if anyone has heard this already, we don't really like we've gotten their clicks already, we've gotten their downloads, so it's fine. But I mean, you're not really selling this podcast as uh, something that's going to be <laughs> very definitive or enlightening. Well, look, okay, Pete, hold on. People love lists. Mm-hmm. They love they rankings, they right? And they love putting order to things. Yep. And uh, I I think it will be beneficial to put goalies into a list and debate over the merits of it while fully acknowledging that goalies are confusing and difficult. And even uh, those of us who study them uh, have very wide differences of, of opinion on, uh, you know, who's good as opposed to who's, you know, maybe a league average guy or slightly below league average. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So, like I said, I mean, the first, I feel really great about my first seven. Basically, from eight, nine, ten, um, I have three guys sort of like written in with pencil, but I'm ready to erase them and replace them based on your your uh, I'm, your I'm kind of excited. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of excited because you you uh, you seem very confident, and and that makes it it's going to be more fun when your picks are are, are really bad. Yes, yeah, so you're going to have a lot more fun tearing it down. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so okay, the 9-10 spot especially, um, the two guys I have in there right now are Semyon Varlamov and Sergei Bobrovsky, and I don't feel good about that at all, but I put them in there just purely based on sort of like the the ceiling that we've seen them reach, even though it, it's been a few years now for both guys. But, I mean, all of the other guys I considered, like we, they have under 100 games in the NHL under their belt, so I didn't really feel comfortable putting them this high on the list. So I don't really know what to make of these two spots. Well, okay, so let me, let's backtrack a little bit. Let me ask you this. Yeah. What was your, okay, well, so for instance, when I did this list, when you, when you said, Nick, you're the goalie guy, I'm relying on you to make a list, I took it really seriously, and I actually ranked the top 20. Mm-hmm. And that helped me flesh out a little bit more where I wanted guys in that, yeah, that tough, like, uh, 9 to 12 range, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But what was your methodology on, on the ranking? 
I got to be honest with you. There wasn't much of a methodology. (laughs) (laughs) I I ranked it based on, based on sort of, um, mostly past performance, but obviously like, you know, if a guy has been kind of looking sketchy for the past year or two, I'm going to take that into heavy consideration as well. Um, like for example, I have Ben Bishop fairly high on this list and I feel weird doing that considering I don't even think he's the best goalie on his own team, but based on the goalie he's been, Mm -hmm. I, I, I can't in good faith put Andre Vasilevsky ahead of him on this list just because well, of how... Well, right. And, and Vasilevsky had a really tough year last year. Yeah. He, he struggled. He, everybody remembers, obviously, uh, the, the, the playoff performance. But before that, he really, really struggled. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, he had a tough, tough year where they you know, talked about, hey, maybe he needs more time on the farm to, to, to start in the minors. So, so you're right. Yeah, you want to take into consideration past performance. But one of the things you got to acknowledge with goalies is that, you know, we have a lot of, we've improved our set of descriptive statistics. Um, we haven't crossed the threshold into really good predictive information, except for the, the guys with a crazy long sample of yeah. uh, performance. And those guys are rare. Um, so it makes it really tough. Like with a guy like a Ben Bishop, it, it even makes it tough. He, he doesn't have an enormous sample, uh, that you can draw on where you, where you could definitively say, you know what, next year is going to be just like last year. Yeah. Um, next year, you know, meaning this year could be a little bit of a cliff for him. He could be heading down based on, uh, you know, what I've learned about, um, you know, goalie peak performance. It's a short window. And it's, uh, what I've found is it's that 27 to 29 age range. Well, you know, Bishop is heading out of that. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. Um, at the same time though, like, uh, I'm, I, I'd consider myself, especially in years past, I've been a Ben Bishop sort of skeptic just because as mm-hmm. like, especially early on, it sort of seemed like the only thing he really had going for him was that he was really tall. And I can see why, you know, it'd be easy to kind of fall in love with that and just be like, well, the puck will probably hit him more frequently than other guys. But listen, he, like in his three full years in Tampa Bay, he started 60 games all three of those years. And yeah. he's like, I think he's seventh or something in the league in save percentage during that time. And like eight, yeah, and five he's and been five. good. Like he's been good. Yeah. Like I, I, I you he's know, been good. I, I, yeah, I hate to say it too. Because, and a lot of, a lot of goalie coaches and people that study goalies, they kind of, say begrudgingly as well because first of all none of us have that i'm five six so i'm looking at him and going what the hell man and 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 then secondly you know he's a he's a blocker in every sense of the word he uses his body to his advantage to block shots he he doesn't really make saves per se um if that makes any sense to you it's you know the difference between like a a a finished type of goalie who's really making saves got his glove out in front of him his blocker out in front of him he's active towards the puck Bishop is in position and uses his body to his advantage. So that's kind of ugly. And uh, so goalie experts look at that and they go, ugh. (laughs) But he's been pretty good. Um, Not pretty good. He's really been, I think, in that top 10 mix. So I I think it's fair if you have him in there. Yeah, he's been reliable. And and, in a lot of these cases, like – you know, rely, being reliable goes a long way just because of how volatile the performance of the position is. And like when, when I say that, you know, I have Bobrovsky and Varlamov tentatively at nine ten. there, the guys I really considered were like, like I really wanted to put Petr Mrazek in there. And then Martin Jones and Jake Allen are guys I considered, but we just like, I don't really know what any of these guys are. I mean, it's very possible yeah. that this, they, like for a lot of these guys, this is like Jake Allen, for example, this is going to be the first year assuming health that he's going to start even 50 right. games. So like, that's a entirely different animal than when he's starting like 35 games and splitting it with Brian Elliott and gets all these cushy matchups. Like, I think that, sure. you know, this year is going to be really telling for a lot of these guys. So like, I've got my eye on them, but I just didn't really feel fully comfortable pulling the trigger on having him inside the top 10. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. I think that's fair. So, okay, so your methodology is basically feelings. Yeah. Well, Good. I mean, I'm using it. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm using just, actual I'm metrics of performance. As I'm well, kidding. Right? I'm yes. kidding. All right. All right. That's all right. Most goalie methodology, most goalie expert methodology is also feelings. So, mm-hmm. um, all right. So you're, so you're 9, 10, or was it, what was your number 10? Well, my number ten was Wabrowski, Number nine is Varlamov, and I want you right now. To and you talk, hate to, both. I want you to talk me into putting Steve Mason ahead of both those guys. Oh God, that's easy. Are you kidding me? Yeah, do it. All for right. Me. Okay, so listen. 
So, so can I tell you about a new stat that I came up with? Absolutely. That's great. Okay. So I talked about it at RIT. I promise I'm going to write on it. So I don't want to go too crazy in the details, but basically I came up with two stats. I call them win threshold percentage and loss threshold percentage. And what those are, I use um, Manny Perry's expected goals formula, right? Uh, Manny Perry has also split his expected goals um, into danger zones. So the shots are in danger zones, just like War on Ice, but it's a little bit of a different formula that he does. So what I do is I run that through my adjusted goal saved above average formula. So let's call it expected goal saved above average, right? Mm -hmm. I look at the league average save percentage in each of those danger zones, and then I compare how many more or fewer goals a goalie gives up in each of those danger zones uh, and and come to a a differential number, um, which is goal saved above or below average. So what win threshold is, I wanted to look at the impact of a goalie on winning a game or losing a game um, independent of what the team actually does. So what I did was I looked at what an average win looks like in the NHL at five on five. An average win in the NHL or an average game in the NHL where there's a win, it's 1.75 goals against in a game given up on average. So you have to do better than 1.75 goals against, right? Mm -hmm. So one goal. So what I looked at was what is the average goal saved above average in a one goal effort by a goalie, okay? In a in a just a normal five on five, forty about forty eight minutes in a five a five on five hockey in a game, normal five on five game, and so it's just what is the goal saved above average in a one goal game? That average is plus point seven five five goal saved above average, okay? Which yep. makes sense. Yep. One point seven five point seven five five goal saved above average. Okay, and so anytime you do that or better, you've met or exceeded the win threshold. Okay, mm-hmm. loss threshold is what does an average loss look like? And what I found is that an average loss is is negative point one zero five goals saved above average or worse. So what loss threshold percentage is is how many times does a goalie do worse? Um, than that. Okay. Right. And so what each measures, and there's more details in it, but it's not worth getting into what each measures win threshold measure measures, basically how often a goalie steals a game. Mm -hmm. Okay. Absolutely wins the game for his team, independent of the score of, of the actual score. He might give up zero goals, one goal, two goals, but he's performed at that threshold um, goal saved above average. And he's basically stolen the game for his team or he's impacted it in a way where they should be winning. Um, loss threshold is a measure of consistency. How often does a goalie just do well enough or better to give his team a chance to win? Um, so the higher the loss threshold percentage means he's doing pretty shitty and he's leaving his team out to dry often. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I use that in my methodology and that helped me really kind of break up some of these guys in the middle. Because what what you did find what I did find is there is a big clumping in both, but I really looked at loss threshold as indicative of a true top ten goalie because that's just pure consistency, and there's a little bit of a break point that comes in around ten to twelve or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, but more importantly, going back to selling you on Steve Mason, Steve Mason over the past three years is amongst qualifying goalies the fifth best in the NHL in loss threshold percentage. And he is the fourth best in the NHL in win threshold percentage. So he's consistent and he steals games. Mm -hmm. There's no question in my mind. He's a top, you know, top 10 goalie. So Varlamov, on the other hand, who's on your cusp, he's right in that 10 range. So he's tough to, pull off of there he's he kind of comes out that way in the past three years and even last year he's right around there um uh Bobrovsky though doesn't show well yeah so so that's the one you want to remove yeah Bobrovsky's been 
I mean, he had obviously had that sort of amazing two-year stretch, right, when he got to Columbus and he got that contract, and and it's been injuries and and lackluster performance. Yeah, and, I mean, look, last year he was injured, right? So, yeah. um, and you have I don't know. Corpus Allo just like kind of looming in the shadows right now. Corpus Allo was quite good last year. Yeah, he was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so uh, you talked me into it. I mean. I should have had Mason in the top ten to begin with, but I kind of wanted wanted you to go on this little spiel. And if I if I already had him super high, I, I knew you wouldn't come with with the heat like you just did. So, but okay. I mean, so. you, you mentioned in those Mason's basically been in Philly for three full years now, and he's second in the league in five on five save percentage behind just Tuukka Rask. Like, I, I think people don't really realize. Um, how good he's been. I mean, maybe I, I don't even really, I don't give him credit for, for how good he's been, but he's been remarkable in these, in these past three years and he's only still 28 years old. So he's right in that sort of peak performance that you it's just crazy. mentioned. And, and it, it feels like he's been around forever because he sort of has, he came up so young, but yeah, um, it, it's very fair to posit that, you know, maybe right now that's the best we're going to see from him, but it could continue for the next few years. And that's pretty promising for the Flyers. Yeah, I think so. And, and it's interesting. I mean, it's so, it's so tough to, um, you know, everybody does it the first five, six games of the season. You're like, Oh my God, start latching on to results in that tiny little sample and be in, and then prognosticating on how the rest of the season is going to go. But it's really interesting in Philly, you know, the whole bandwagon jumped onto Neuwirth in the playoffs because of, um, you know, that little two game sample where Mason was terrible. Yeah. And, um, and Neuwirth was great. Neuwirth was otherworldly. And Neuwirth was pretty good in the World Cup of Hockey, too. So people kind of jumped on that and, and said, ooh, wow, maybe Neuwirth is the guy, not Mason. Um, the start of this season, Neuwirth really struggled. And Mason has looked good in spite of the fact that Philly's kind of hung him out to dry. Um, so it makes me happy, even though it's just a few games, <laughs> that my guy Mason uh, has has come out of the gates, and and you know Philly fans are kind of backing off and saying, okay, I think maybe he is the, you know, the true starter on this team. Um, but it bring, you know it goes back to that Bishop Vasilevsky thing. You got a guy who's performed well for a number of years, and um, you never it's precarious. You know, he could not be the starter. <laughs> So I, um, well, I think here's here's the interesting follow up question too. So you, you love Steve Mason. Um, he's 28 years old. He's a UFA this summer. So uh, what we know is that you don't really want to be committing many years to these guys just because right. they could just fall off the table very quickly. Um, but as much as you love Steve Mason, like how many years, if you were running the Flyers, would you feel comfortable giving Steve Mason before like you sort of have to step away and just go like, no, this is that's a bit too rich for my blood. Yeah, I, I, I would always be for with a guy like him because his public perception isn't as um, isn't as lofty as, as how I, you know, hold him out to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I'd throw him. A, I'd try to throw him a three year deal and keep him keep him there. I think if you threw him a three year deal that was richer than what he has right now, he'd probably be a happy guy. Yeah. Um, and and that would mitigate, I think, all risk because you'd be getting, you know, probably what would be the rest of his peak. Um, let's say he runs into an injury like a ton of goalies do when they hit that age, uh, around 30. Well, then, you know, you've only committed three years. It's not the end of the world. Um, you know, if you give him four years, you're probably looking at a decline, um, either in that third or fourth year. And you're going to eat some of that um, salary, maybe um, having him in, in a backup role or trying to find a trade partner. So I get him on three years, make it a little bit richer um, and uh, and then get out of there, as, uh, you know, as quickly as you as you got in. Yeah, I think three is pretty reasonable. I mean, he's only making like four, four point one or something like that. Yeah. Right now. So, I mean, even if you bumped it up to like, let's say five, I'm sure you could probably honestly get him as that like a three year, 15 million dollar deal. And you, that could wind up being some pretty good value without too much risk on the back end. Yeah. I, and I could see, you know, one of the things that I, I think kind of screwed up, uh, it's it screwed up the market is like when the guys like Hiller um, get, you know, probably richer three year deals than they deserve. Yep. Um, so, you know, Mason's agent's probably going to be looking for like five and a half over three or four years. Um, if you could get him at five, that'd be, I think that'd be a steal. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm moving Mason up to eighth. I'm uh, sorry. I got Mason ninth, uh, Varlamov 10th and I'm bumping out Bobrovsky. 
I feel pretty good. I like it. Uh, so I had Bishop eight, as I mentioned. Um, I, I don't love the guy, but I mean, it is hard to argue with the track record he's had in, in Tampa Bay. And it'll be fascinating to see um, what kind of happens the rest of this year and then moving forward with him because it's pretty clear that Vasilevsky is going to be their, their long-term guy. And they didn't really make much of a secret about the fact that they were trying to trade him this summer to, you know, just because of all the complications with the expansion draft coming up. And it, it seemed like Calgary really was going to get him, but the demands that he had for his contract extension to, to push that trade through were just very unreasonable. So I'm kind of curious to see both how he plays this year and if he has another really good year, let's say starts another 55, 60 games and has a 920 save percentage, how much that earns him in the, in the off season. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, big goalies worry me. We'll, we'll talk. I'm, I know we're going to be talking about Carey Price. Mm. Um, big goalies worry me as they age. They're just so injury prone. Um, you just slamming those knees down underneath, you know, whatever Bishop weighs. Um, it's just over time, the wear and tear on a goal on any goalie is, is immense. Um, but I think when you're, when you're a big guy and you're slamming those knees down, uh, the way he does, I, I, I just think that, um, you know, the timeline for his decline might be sped up a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see what he fetches on the open market. If, if teams are kind of aware of that and, and say, eh, this might not be the guy that's going to, you know, carry us for the next three or four years because he might, he might simply not be able to play. Yeah. Um, and he's already run into some injuries. So, yeah, I'm with you. Um, Okay, so number seven, um, I have Roberto Luongo, and it's remarkable that you know he's turning 38 this spring, but he's still a boss, man. Like he's since he came to Florida, he, he's sixth in five on five save percentage. I mean, he's just he's he's rock solid. They they brought in uh, James Reimer this summer, and I like that move because you know Luongo is not going to be playing at this level forever, and it's all, it's good to have kind of a guy to push him and, and split starts and make sure that he's not having to start 65, 70 games, but. Uh, whenever he's out there, I, I feel like he gives the the Panthers a really good chance to win, and that's all you can really ask for. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think that's a a, a, a decent pick at that spot, mm. Demetri. Um, number six, I had Corey Crawford. Um, and listen, I, I know it's it's easy to bash him whenever the Blackhawks struggle, especially a few years ago, because uh whenever they win it's it's, it's patty kane and jonathan taves kind of you know pulling them through but whenever they lose it's all cory crawford's glove side is so weak i remember that yeah uh, the stanley cup series against the bruins in particular where it felt like everyone was talking about it all the time but i mean he was really really good last year and what people don't really realize is that the blackhawks started to kind of fall off as a team particularly at five on five and you know, their power play saved them a little bit and Patty Kane's otherworldly kind of point production season did, but Corey Crawford, there were a lot of nights where he was easily their best, most valuable player, and I feel pretty good about having him sort of in this upper echelon of guys, and, and six seems like a good spot for him. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that's a good spot for him. He, um, you know, Corey Crawford's interesting because really he's, over the past three years, um, he's found his game. Um, I like to say, I think, um, you know, earlier in his career, he struggled with technical issues. Um, I mean, his glove was, was always a thing that was getting picked on, but he had real issues, um, just with his positioning and the way that he would get up and down. Um, I think that he's one of those goalies who's just worked on his game and he's gotten better and better. And over the past three years, it's shown he's been, um, you know, according to this loss threshold stat, He's been, uh, over the past three years, amongst qualifying goalies, he's the seventh, yes, seventh, um, tied for sixth most consistent goalie in the NHL, according to that stat. And last year, he finished seventh amongst qualifying goalies. Um, That stat has shown predictivity. Um, I don't think he's going anywhere. So I would imagine that he's going to be right in that range again of being, you know, a top five to seven goalie in terms of just giving you a reliable, consistent performance. He usually doesn't blow it out of the water. Um, but last year he did a lot last year. He actually won, uh, the Blackhawks quite a few games. And, um, you know, this year, I think he's going to have to do it even more often because they just don't have the depth, um, to, uh, to tear teams up like, like they, I think they have in the past. So, um, it'll be interesting to see how, how things go this year. If maybe, um, 
with everybody kind of acknowledging that, that the Blackhawks have maybe taken a step back. Um, if he is more in the, uh, in the spotlight and, uh, and if he does well under that. Well, and, and I think, you know, he's been very unlucky so far this season, just in the sense that, uh, he's come under a little bit of scrutiny because he has like an under 900 save percentage right now in, yeah, in five, but... six games. And, and, but the funny thing is, is, I mean, he's stopping like 98% of the five on five shots he's faced. And it's just been that penalty right. kill of theirs. It's just been, you know, obliterated by everyone. And yeah, people love to say that sort of thing. Like your, you know, your goalie should be your best penalty killer and all that. But we know that it, uh, the five on five performance is much more telling and sort of predictive, especially moving forward of, of how good the goalie is actually playing. Yeah, I mean, look, there's tons of team effects in all facets of the game, five on five, uh, and and also on the penalty kill. But I think in the penalty kill, you're so reliant on the structure of your penalty kill in front of you and the ability of the penalty kill to to shut down those really really high danger type of opportunities. And the Blackhawks just haven't done it. They've just gotten picked apart. Um, I don't think that Crawford's a particularly bad penalty killing goalie. Um, like I said earlier, he's improved on his ability to uh, move and recover um, and find his angle lines. So he's come a long way in that regard. I don't think he's you know a superstar on the penalty kill either. Right. Um, he he is susceptible to those you know when they go um, uh, point to uh, offside post. Uh, a lot of times he's just not going to get there in time, or he's going to be sloppy getting there and it's going to sneak under his pad. Um, it is what it is, but. You know, with that being said, just don't take as many penalties, guys. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's interesting you mentioned, uh, like, the idea of a, a goalie being particularly good at penalty killing, though. Like, is it just purely sort of like an athleticism thing in terms of being able to read and react really quickly? Or, or like, are, are certain guys or certain skill sets more predisposed to being uh, more effective at stopping shots when, they're, when their team's down a man, or...? I, I do think so, and, the, and and I'm I'm going totally off the cuff here, mm-hmm. um, you know, without um, penalty kill stats in front of me. But you know, well, first of all, it's this whole thing that I always say: goalies are snowflakes. You know, they're all different; they come in all sh- shapes and sizes, and some are better at some things, some are better at other things. Um, individual aspects of their game um, might translate into a penalty kill, uh, in particular, but. In a five-on-five, five, there's not as many, you know, um, opportunities for a goalie to go from, uh, uh, you know, let's say an aggressive depth all the way shooting back all the way to his post quickly. Uh, he might not have to do that at five-on-five five as often, but on the penalty kill, he can pull that off like a John Quick. Um, so, yeah, I think there are certain attributes of certain goalies that make them predisposed to success in different situations. But I can't, you know, I, I, I don't think I could pinpoint one thing being better than another. Um, you know, on the other side of it, so look at uh, Freddie Anderson this year. Freddie Anderson is, uh, he's a conservative goalie. This year he's been playing overly aggressive. And there's all these r- rumors as to why that is, that it's coaching, that it's this, that it's that. I don't know what it is, but what I'm seeing is that when Toronto's on a penalty kill, he cannot he he cannot recover and get to the offside post in time and he's overreacting to the first shot that's not his game if he was back in his net and more conservative i think he'd make a lot of those saves that that are turning into goals but that's a totally different style than like what i just said before john quick who can be ultra aggressive and get to that post in time um so like there's just you know there's many many different ways to skin the cat um, I don't think there's one particular attribute that makes you great at a, a, a penalty kill. Um, but certain guys have it and certain guys don't. Yeah, I buy that. Um, all right, top five. This is, the, this is the good stuff. This is where uh, we say that the really good guys are really good and that I, I feel like uh, our analysis is done at this point. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I kind of deliberated between, like my top three is, is set in stone. Uh, four or five, I had Holt beat Rask and I couldn't really decide which order to put them in. I, I, I felt like Rask for a while. I wound up on Holt be as number four and Rask at five, but I think that they're sort of interchangeable at this point. Interesting. Mm. Um, okay. So I love Tuka Rask. He's one of my favorite goalies. Yep. Uh, it's so hard for me to say this, but, uh, he did not make my top 10. 
Ooh, now that's a hot take. That is a hot take. Mm. He has, um, over the past two seasons, he's really struggled. And I think it's related to injury. I think he, since he got that groin injury three seasons ago, he hasn't quite been the same. Um, uh, it might've been four seasons ago, but, um, he's been on a steady decline and, uh, it started two seasons ago and it's gotten progressively worse last year. Uh, he struggled and a lot of people are going to say, well, yeah, that also coincides with Boston's defense kind of falling apart in front of him. That's true. I, I fully acknowledge that. And I fully acknowledge that a lot of goaltending stats is just team effects, screwing up everything. Right. And we, you know, we haven't been able to separate out everything, but you know, I think Manny's expected goals does a pretty good job and Rask doesn't show well. Um, uh, so I, I had to take him out of the top 10 and it kills me because I love how he plays. He's that perfect finish style goalie. I think he's just, he's, he's on the back nine. That's interesting. I, I, Sorry. I'm, I'm a big Rask <laughs> fan. I, I think that it is one of those things where, I mean, last year his numbers definitely took a dip and I just think that, the the defense they're putting out in front of him right now is just such an abomination that I feel like that has to be part of it. And obviously if yeah. you're talking about guys uh, this high up on the list, you'd like to think that, you know, they'd be sort of like matchup proof or, or sort of uh, team proof in the sense that you just put them out there and they're going to make ridiculous saves consistently, regardless of who's kind of standing in front of them. But I don't know, like, I just, you know at, what it is for yeah. me though. It's the injury thing. Yeah. Like I really, yeah, I really, when I made this list, I really thought about, um, or I try to think about like, is this guy going to be able to give his team a full season of great performance? And I looked at Rask and I said, I don't think he is. And he's already out. Yeah. Um, you know, I, and that's kind of what held him out of the top 10 for me. And, and he's at 12. It's not like I dropped him to 25th. So but. How, how does, um, how does your like t- 10 to five go? What's, what's the uh, discrepancy okay. between what we've done already? All right, so this one's really going to hurt me personally. Okay. My number 10 is John Quick. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, okay, explain yourself. I, I have him tied for 10th with Yaroslav Halak. Uh, I thought you were going to say you have him tied for 10th with 20 other goalies. No. <laughs> so uh, this is just a tough admission. Um, I think that some of my statistical evidence in the past has been good, like adjusted goal saved above average for 60. It's been a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But what it hasn't taken into account is the distribution of performances and how often a goalie does enough to give your team a chance to win. And I always say that Quick is unpredictable, and he has in terms of his career. However, in the past season and a half, and especially last year, he found the consistency code. I don't know what happened because all through his career prior, he's been as inconsistent as I, I've always said he is. So I'm not a complete idiot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but last year, he was, according to Lost Threshold, the he was the... Da, 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 eighth most consistent goalie in the NHL. Right. At 31% loss threshold, the league average loss threshold, um, I'm sorry, the average loss threshold amongst qualifying goalies is 37%. Um, So that means that 69% of the time, which is nice, (laughs) he's giving his team a chance to win. Okay, I have, a, I have a philosophical question for you here, and it, and it applies to Quick because he's been like a pretty big workhorse over his career in terms of just st- he's like started when it, like 70 games yeah. a year pretty much and, and hasn't right. really dipped as the year has gone along any of those years. Do you give a guy extra credit for being able to handle a big workload like that? Or is it one of those things where like when Andrew McDonald used to play 25 minutes a night for the Islanders, people were like, well, he must be at least decent. He's playing 25 minutes a night. And it's like, well, I yeah. mean, his, his coach is just literally sending him out 25 minutes a night. That's all it tells us. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I've found over the past year with the with the adjusted goal saved above average and now with this is that the guys who are starting the NHL, at least in the top 20 goalies, let's say, they're all pretty deserving of their starting role. And that doesn't mean that their backup is undeserving of being a starter, but it means that they're giving their team a chance to win. They're putting together good performances. 
most of the time. So I, I certainly, I do give some credit to durability. I definitely give credit to durability, mm-hmm. um, the ability to, to, to stay on the ice. Um, and not be injured. But uh, I, I, I do, you know, for a guy who's a workhorse and plays a lot, you know, we haven't found that fatigue is necessarily a factor in performance um, as, as far as a total season package. But we do see that, you know, if you run a goalie out for 20 of 22, the last three or four of those, he seems to struggle a little bit more than than normal. So maybe there's short-term fatigue, whatever it is. But I, I, you know, I look at the goalies like quick and Lundquist and, and those work workhorse type goalies. And I say, that's, I think that that's meaningful, um, that they can be out there as much as they can and turn in serviceable, if not good or great performances, um, most of the time. But by the same token, I also try not to penalize a guy who is great in a small sample and that's all we know of him because he just hasn't had an opportunity to play as much. Um, you know, I don't kill an Elliot because he's had to split time throughout his career because the numbers are there. Yep. Um, I think it's fair. So, so, uh, okay. So you had Halak and quick tied for 10th. Yeah. So who do, so, who do you have? So disappointing. Uh, all right. So we've got, uh, at nine Luongo. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think, uh, you, you had him at what? Eight, seven. Yeah. I had him seven. Yeah. At eight, I have Mrazek. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, the Mrazek smaller sample, um, but he's been phenomenal and I think he's trending in the right direction and I think he's going to continue to be phenomenal. Um, I, I think by the end of this season, he could be, you know, closer to five or six. Yep. Uh, I, I think really highly of Mrazek. I mean, the way I like to describe Mrazek is I think he really realistically could be what Jonathan Quick's biggest yes. fan of Jonathan Quick is. That's exactly, that's perfect. Like the crazy he, athleticism and electricity, but also just like being really, really good at constantly stopping the puck. Well, yeah, and, and, and he's, got, he's got all of those things that, that Quick has, but he is more under control. Yeah. Um, and he is better at responding to um, plays that develop uh, laterally, uh, or in tight to the net or behind the net, whereas Quick kind of struggles with that part of his game, and that's where he most often gets beat. Um, so he, it's like he studied Quick's playbook and said, this is great, but if I fix this, this, and this, I could be elite as, a, as opposed to just you know a quality or good starter. Um, so that's how I look at Mrazek. I look at him the same way you do. Yeah. Um, so at number seven, I have Crawford. Yeah. At number six, I have Braden Holpe. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about Hopi now because I, I have him fourth. So, um, okay, I it's it's amazing to me. Like Adam Oates did a lot of things horribly wrong during his time in in, in Washington, and you know it's 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 kind of laughable to look back at it now and then look where they are at this point in time and just think about like how close everything was to just completely unraveling. But I mean, one of the worst things he did was remember that cameo where they just randomly brought in Yarrow Halak and started messing with Holtby and. Didn't give him, didn't yes. give him the starts, and it's like it's the one blip in the radar on, on Holby's resume where it's like this is the only period of time where he hasn't been amazing, including all of his AHL stuff. And yeah, it's it's I'm I'm glad that it you know they righted the ship because it could have gone horribly wrong. But I mean, obviously he won the Vesna last year, and he, and he looks like he's going to be really really good for a long time to come. Yeah, and and I gave I you know I I, I went nuts on the Vezina voting, but it wasn't really about Holtby winning. I I was, it's not like Holtby winning was necessarily wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, He just, he was more of a top, top, a top five to seven goalie as opposed to a clear number one. The issue that I had with the Vezina voting was something entirely different, which was that uh, Lundqvist didn't even get a vote Mm -hmm. and he was the clear number one. So, um, that, you know, a lot of people kind of jumped, Caps fans just jumped on me and said, well, well I don't understand. Hope he's clearly elite. I agree. He is elite. And, and look, he's, what is he now? He's 27, right? Or 20, is he, I think he's 27. Yeah. He's, he's, um, he's, he's like entering his late twenties now slowly. So uh, he's, he's a guy who's in his prime. He could easily be a top five. I have him at six. No yeah. big deal. Yeah. Who do you have at five? Brian Elliott. Mm, 
Well, let's talk a little bit about Elliot because I know you've, you're you're pretty pretty hyped up about the the past couple of performances by him. Yeah, so uh, I I liked how the season started for the Flames because uh, it it just was fun to watch them immediately crumble as a fan base when they got when they got slaughtered by the Oilers. Hmm. Um, but you know, look. Elliot has been Elliot has been really consistently good for years now, for four or five seasons, um, and it's just been quiet. That's all because he's on a good Blues team. He's always had to kind of split time he, in, with other guys, and those other guys are also good goalies. Maybe the Blues just know what they're doing with goaltending. Um, you know, he's responded well to um, starting less, and there's always that debate of you know. Should a goalie does a goalie need to get more reps to be successful? Elliot's a guy; it doesn't matter. Apparently, you know, you could have him split time and he'll be fine. I think he's going to be fine as a starter. I don't think um, there's going to be an issue with him, you know, going on a run of you know starting twenty to twenty five games because he did it towards the end of last year when when um, Allen got injured and then you know didn't come back and and perform all that well. So Elliot became kind of the workhorse. Um, I think he's going to be really good for the flames. He's already started to kind of settle in, uh, that last performance he had the other night where, uh, uh, he was phenomenal all game. Uh, and then, uh, just kept it right up through the, uh, shootout. Yeah. Against the Black um, ah, that was just, it was just a beautiful performance of goaltending where guys just, you can see, you don't have to be a goalie expert. You watch the guy, you watch how his head is moving. You watch how his body is reacting to, um, to where the puck is. And you just know the guy's locked in. You know, it's like when certain people, when you watch a Carey Price and you're just like, well, he's locked in. We're not scoring. Um, that's how Elliot, Elliot can look like that. Um, I, I truly believe he's an elite goalie. Yeah, that's fair. I, I he was said that he he didn't make my top ten, but he was like in that next tier, sort of the honorable mention guys. Um, who do you have at number four? So, number four, because I think there's is, a pretty clear top three. So I'm just so here's my here's my number is. four is uh, Steve Mason. Okay, okay, good. And uh, for for all the reasons we discussed, um, Steve Mason, his career trajectory has been funky. Started off at the top. He went through this big lull. I think he benefited from health and good coaching. Um, he certainly didn't benefit from environment because Philadelphia hasn't been good defensively while he's been there. Um, but uh, he's been quietly uh, exceptional. And um, he's one of the most consistent goalies in the NHL. He does have the ability to steal games. Uh, I think his biggest weakness is um, the penalty kill. He's one of those goalies who just doesn't do well when he's forced to go from uh, point A to point B super rapidly for like a one-timer. That's where he just gets beat. Um, But if you want to talk about a goalie who makes his life easy for himself, he makes all the saves he's supposed to make. Um, It's funny to say that because some of his gaffes stand out to people, like uh, letting in a shot from the blue line, you know, stuff like that. But (sighs) John Quick does that all the time too. Why does John Quick get a pass on that? Um, I don't know. You're the, clearly the biggest John Quick <laughs> fan here, so maybe you can answer that. You, you know, I so I, I think that the 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 part of the reason the perception of Mason is that he's just kind of a, an average goalie is that he's not flashy. He just does things the right way. It's it's a little bit like Crawford in that way. Um, he makes the first save. He doesn't create a lot of extra work for himself, and he has great rebound control. Um, uh, so it's not exciting. How, but, how, how did we get into another like diatribe about Steve Mason? We already discussed this. He's an entire. I love Steve Mason. <laughs> I'll fill up an entire podcast with Steve Mason. I, I basically did. I have no doubt about it. No <laughs> doubt about it. Um, okay, so the top three I think is pretty clear, and I'm glad that you haven't mentioned Schneider, Price, or Lundqvist yet because we'd have a really big issue if those guys, those those three guys, in some order, weren't the top three. The question is, what order? <laughs> so, so this is this is. I I have a Schneider three. Lundqvist two and Price one. Um, and if I did it before the year, I would have had Lundqvist one and Price two. But I, I, you know, I just needed to see Carey Price like physically in net, not looking like a cripple, and he looks perfectly fine. So, and I know it's only been a few games, but it's enough for me to kind of feel 
confident that at least for the time being, he's going to be healthy. And, and that's why I have him at number one. How boring. We absolutely, totally agree. Mm. Well, I think, I, I, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the I, only I, rational thing to really do. Like, I mean, obviously yeah. the order could be different, but I think the three guys are pretty clearly had our head we, and shoulders above everyone else. Yeah. If we did this in the summer, um, it, well, it's like I said before, I consider injury, I consider injury risk. I do still think that Price is an injury risk because he's a big guy. He's already got a knee injury. Um, that just doesn't get better over time. It only gets worse. We know that in every sport. Um, so I do think that, you know, it could affect um, the length of his peak performance. Um, you never know when he's going to push off funny and it's going to pop again, yeah. right? Um, and that sucks because he is the best goalie in the world, um, in my opinion. Um, I, I think, I, you know, I wouldn't say he's head and shoulders above Lundqvist, but he's, he really stands out, I think, as the very best. Uh, when he's on his game. So we're doing this a couple games in the season. We get the benefit of of seeing how he looks. He looks pretty damn like Carey Price. So um, I, I, I had him as the clear number one. I had Lundqvist as the clear number two. Mm-hmm. Um, what's amazing about Lundqvist, so the win threshold, loss threshold stat. Um, so over the past three years, he had the highest win, thro- win threshold percentage at 46%. He also had the lowest loss threshold percentage at 26%. And we're talking highest by 5% and lowest by 3%. Um, Schneider is next behind him. Yeah. So that's over the past three years. Now, last year, everybody said, well, he's in a decline and blah, blah, blah. Last year, his win threshold percentage was 53%. So it went up. His loss threshold percentage was 24%. It went down. So he actually was better than he's been at any other time in the past three years. Um, everybody remembers, again, it's recency bias. They remember the last few games of the season and, um, you know, the Rangers getting their ass handed to them by the Penguins. Um, but I don't think Lundqvist is in decline. Yeah, well, I, it, it's crazy, right? Because, you know, a, ver- a fair question is, how does the best goalie of his generation have only one Vesna trophy? And I think the answer is it's just one of those things where, we kind of take for granted how insanely high his baseline performance is just consistently year over year. So it's like, you always kind of look for these new guys to be like, Oh, maybe he's a, he's the best guy. Maybe he's the best guy. And it's like, I mean, Lundqvist has seven straight years of over 920 is just insane. Like he just doesn't have off seasons. And, um, I was looking at it like last year, for example, might've been the most impressive thing he's ever really done because he faced the most shots against in the league. And a fun stat that I found was he had uh, 557 high danger shots against and the second most was Holtby with a hundred fewer than him. Like that's just insane. It's an insane workload. Uh, It's insane what the Rangers were asking him to do with that blue line in front of him. And he was up to the task. So I, I think that, you know, he's pretty clearly right there with Carey Price and, He's damn good, and let us enjoy him while we can. Yeah, and, and look, like I think I've said on your podcast before, there's going to come a time when he is going to be in decline. And yeah, it might happen. It might start this year. I don't know. Um, but um, I'm not ready to say, you know, the, the stuff that comes out where they say, oh, no, he's definitely in decline. The, I feel like those are just based in nonsense. Um, you know, from a statistical standpoint, it's not true. And if you're watching, if you watch the games, <laughs> uh, he stands on his head. Um, so I, I just, um, I, you know, I, I, I just think he's an all-time great. And, um, uh, you know, to me, uh, uh, a clear number two behind Price, they're pretty close. And then I think Schneider is, is right there, too. And doesn't it's, it's amazing, but Schneider is another guy. He just doesn't get the credit he deserves. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, basically, the only year he had a, a sub nine twenty five save percentage um, was the year that the Devils decided like they'd split the starts fifty fifty with him and Broder, which yeah. was really. I mean, it was it was funny at the time. It's even funnier now to look at it in hindsight. And uh, no, Schneider's amazing, and it's kind of a shame that his his prime years are kind of being wasted on this Devils team that isn't going anywhere. But at least with Hall now and inside like guys like Pavel Zaka and stuff, they have you know, some promise in terms of just getting him enough goals to win enough games to actually make the playoffs. But um, yeah, no, I, I feel pretty good about this list. We've kind of hammered out. I'm glad you talked me into Mason. Um, and yeah, I'll have to look into the Brian Elliott stuff because 
Uh, whenever, whenever we, you know enough about goaltending, whenever you say something like that, it kind of makes me wonder what I'm missing, and, and sort of I kind of want to do a bit more digging myself. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting because uh, a lot of uh, a lot of folks that um, that I talk with on Twitter have kind of latched on to a couple of these goalies that you know I've like the Masons and the Elliots, and and even like a Halak, um, who I think has gone under the radar for most of his career. And, um, it's funny cause they, uh, folks will come back and go, yeah, you know what? I think I kind of see it. Um, so I, I, I don't know how, I don't know how, you know, goalies kind of go missed, but you think about it, the same thing happens with players too. You know, there are players that are underrated, um, and then statistical evidence shows that they, that they're, um, very effective. It's just always surprising to me because a goalie plays the, the entire game by himself. Um, and and folks just seem to miss certain guys. Yeah, that's fair. And um, overrank other guys. <laughs> yes, like like John like, Quick, like John Quick, the tenth best goalie in the NHL according to Nick Mercadante. Man, man, what a, that's that's a headline right there. Uh, <laughs> hey Nick, uh, plug some stuff. Plug uh, this article that you'll hopefully write one day, and and uh, yeah. and where where do people can find you on Twitter and all that jazz? So I'm going to write about win threshold and loss threshold on hockey graphs. Mm-hmm. Um, that's uh, I'm 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 letting um, uh, don't tell me about heart um, Dawson Springs uh, get his his uh, war model out. That's uh, a big uh, venture for him. So he's he's got about five or six articles to go, and then and then I'm going to get this uh, win threshold and loss threshold uh, percentage article. Uh, written on hockey grass, but you can also find my stuff on Twitter at nmercad, and um, you know, I'll be posting graphs and charts like I did last season uh, that that uh, you can follow along and you know see what I think about different goalies. Yes. Uh, well, listen, man. Thanks for uh, taking the time and helping me hammer out this list. Of course, it was fun. Cool. We'll chat soon. All right. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. Mm-hmm.